0: Welcome to another bibliophile adventure. We are here in the bunker, hunkered down uh, somewhere in the depths of Germany. It's me, Michael from Germany, and uh I feel like I needed a creative outlet in these crazy times when we're all listening to probably less podcasts than usual if you're stuck at home and you can't get in your car. <laughs> because you're working from home, or um, whatever reason. Uh, but maybe you need more podcasts, and if so, then I'm happy, because maybe I'm helping you out here. I'm going to try and get it to an hour, uh, like we did in the past, even with some really short books. And I'm going to go back to my old format of not having a format, and I hope you like it. We are back in the old school, right here. Um back on my old laptop and sitting with a very fine west coast ipa support your local businesses support those local breweries um show them some love in these tough times i got this delivered to my door today and i was very happy so cheers um and the reason why i guess i'm uh Going back to some of these Anglo-Saxon traditions is because I am going to share with you a, another story of Tolkien. And it's in the series that I'd like to call Tolkien Dark. So cheers. This is the lay of our true and true. This is another one of these very short and sweet Tolkien Books, which I've picked up at a railway station bookshop. Uh, The bookstores here in Germany are a very, uh, well, maybe I should say used to be. I guess a few of them have gone out of business by now. Very sad. Um, A lot of the bookstores in Germany have very weird stuff in them. Um, There's multiple reasons for that. But one of my favorite things is popping into railway station bookstores when I have the chance, when I'm on my way somewhere. i got to say that doesn't happen much these days. I have been hunkered down now for literally half the year. And I feel like I'm hunkering so hard. uh, I'm going to hunker right back out the other side at some point. So this is another... Um, Little Paperback, which is edited by Verlin Flieger. Now, if you haven't heard of Verlin Flieger, please go and check her out. Find out about Verlin Flieger. I assume like she's a professor or something. I think she must be. She edited um, Colavo, which was the other Tolkien book, much longer, which I checked out. Um... Colavo is kind of like a mixture of prose and poetry so it's much the same as Lord of the Rings and Colavo is a tragically dark dark tale um, which is great actually if you're feeling kind of um, <laughs> if you're feeling down um, it's a great read because if you read the story of Colavo it's just wallowing in all those negative feelings and it's kind of almost like a kind of dark fantasy um, from dark, dark times long ago uh, of all these terrible deeds that the hero or kind of anti-hero does, you know, just uh, driven by um, driven by emotions and driven by imaginations Almost kind of on the level of uh, madness, like it's I mean it's a fairy tale, but it's the real old scary type of fairy tale and this uh, second book of the Verland Flieger edited series, I want to say also fits into that category, but it's a really different fairy tale. So our true in a Troon is one of several poems that comes from the Breton, uh, Breton uh, tradition of storytelling or singing. Um, Breton means um, Britain, actually. So before the English came to Britain, uh, it was happily populated by the British, who are a Celtic people or were a Celtic people. If you've ever read any Asterix and Obelix comics, absolute um, necessity when I was growing up those comics uh, taught me a lot <laughs> um, the Gauls like Asterix and Obelix himself, those uh, themselves those folks were kind of like the Breton people kind of like a Celtic people we don't really know much about those people really we kind of have um, ideas that are filtered through that Roman lens. So we don't really know what we're talking about. Uh, The Breton language itself is something very special. It's Celtic, uh, but all the Celtic languages actually have a lot of Latin influence in them. So um, it's almost like a window back onto those Roman days when you dig into the mystical depths that seem so alien and yet you know what in many ways they were more civilized than our times because they knew about uh they knew about having a civilization that stretched right across the continent of europe and asia and that is pretty huge actually and they had their ships of course they sailed down to africa i mean not everybody right (laughs) not every single person um but the medieval culture or the pre-medieval cultures were actually very um, well-traveled and very cosmopolitan. And these Breton songs have a lot in common, I guess, because of that with um, fairy tales across Europe, across the whole of Europe. They have a lot of their own special... um, special quirks, you could say. So in these three um, poems that Verlin Flieger has collected, you should check out, by the way, if you're interested in any of this stuff, um, just check, um, there's a YouTube video of Verlin Flieger talking about this poem and Colavo. Um, It's called Tolkien Dark, and I think it's a great title. And she explains why... Tolkien's books are not just like fluffy, happy, um, books about hobbits with, uh, colorful jackets and everything, dancing with elves in the woods, but they're actually deeply tragic and deeply kind of sorrowful, um, stories and characters full of, um, yeah, wounded characters, just full of all kinds of, uh trouble and sorrow of this world and uh, maybe these other worlds and so um, in this uh, little tiny collection it's less than, uh, it's just over a hundred pages Verlin Flieger manages to collect um, three different poems that were kind of like, I want to say reconstructed by Tolkien he put them back together um, in his own kind of special way very personal way uh but the basic story is that um there's a lord and a lady that's what our true and a true means lord and lady so they have no name actually and uh they're childless they want a child so they go to a witch or maybe she's a fairy it's not totally clear and um this um, magical lady, let's say, the Corrigan, she's called. She gives him a love potion or some magic spell and they get a child. But there's like a terrible price to pay. In some versions, the Lord has to go sleep with the witch and he says no. And then she curses him and he dies. I think he dies in all the different versions that he's actually in. Um, there's one version of the three which has no male character that's pretty interesting um, and generally it's a tragedy and it's very short and it's a song it's a long song it's a long poem so let me read you a little taster of it just to give you an idea because I'm not gonna um I'm not gonna read the whole thing you should buy the book. <laughs> The Lay of Ælfwine and Æthelwine, as published. In Britain's land beyond the seas, the wind blows ever through the trees. In Britain's land beyond the waves, are stony shores and stony caves. So this is kind of typical Tolkien style. Um, he's cut down the poetry from the very flowery and pretentious stuff uh, that I guess is still popular even today. I mean, in as much as poetry is popular, is it really popular? Has it been popular for a while? I don't know. Like, even rap music, geez, I mean, that's poetry. but um, And I guess some of it is pretty OTT. So Tolkien likes to cut things down to to the bare bones. And the reason for that, I think, is because he's so... Um, deeply like he's deep dipped he's like double dipped in this tradition of Anglo-Saxon poetry the old English poetry Um, in that poetry you want to be clever by saying less and um, it's very much like the Scandinavian kind of Nordic Viking stuff you try to say less with more and you try to make these clever jokes with all the words that you use So, for example, I got some um, oldest written English poetry here. Uh, Here's my favourite stuff, I think. It's all my favourite. Listen to this. Frost shall freeze, fire eat wood, earth shall breed, ice shall bridge, water a shield wear. One shall break frost's fetters, free the grain from wanderlock, One who all can. Winter shall wane, fail fair weather come again, the sun-warmed summer, the sound unstill, the deep dead wave is darkest longest. Holly, shelter the pyre, hoard be scattered, when the body's numb, name best a king shall win a queen with goods beakers bracelets both must first be kind with gifts courage must wax war mood in the man the woman grow up beloved among her people be light of mood hold close a rune word be roomy hearted at hoard share and horse giving when the hall drinks, she shall always and everywhere, before any company greet first, the father of Athelings, with the first draught. It goes on, but you get it. There's um, alliteration, very very simple. Frost shall freeze, and uh, so it's kind of like a rapping style actually, basically. Um. And you're painting a picture with the words. You're not trying to um, show off your grammar so much as your imagination. You're trying to take people to the place where you're going in your imagination. And in this poem, for example, you can hear a lot of the classic kind of Viking themes of uh, drinking, of course. Uh, hospitality. Um, honor. You've got uh, gift giving. Gift giving. I mean that's like a basic staple of all cultures, I guess. Um, you've got some kind of pagan stuff like the holly tree. Um, you've got some kind of like little jokes, explaining things um, in like a riddle. Right, so that's um, that's something to keep in mind in the background. Because then Tolkien brings all of this, um, I can only describe it as like the Bardic style. He brings it into this modern world, uh, which is used to clever stuff. And it's a real problem because we're used to this clever, um, we're used to hearing a lot of clever talk, but we don't have the experience to go with it. For example, here's another um, here's another quote from the earliest English poems. These these are the people that we consider to be very primitive, right? This is Widsith. Widsith, I don't know how that's really said. I'd like to think of it as like wide side, someone who's been to all the wide sides. This is the testimony of Widsith, traveller through kindreds and countries. In courts he stood often, knelt for the lovely stone. No living man more often, unlocks his word hoard. So he's a bard, he's a travelling bard, he's a singer or a poet for hire. And listen to how many um, he boasts about who he's met. Among Saracens was I, and among Sarings I was, among Finns, among Creeks, with Kaiser I was who was the wielder of wine-filled cities and rents and riches and the Roman domain. I was with Picts and Scots and sliding Finns, with Leons and Bretons and with langobards with heathens and with heroes and with Hundings, with Israelites I was and with the ex-Syringians, with Hebrews, with Indians and with the Egyptians. Among Medes was I, with per- Persians, with Mergings, and with the Moftings against the Mergings, and among Amorthings. With East Thuringians I was, with Aols and with Ests, and among Idumings. Basically, hey, if there's anyone anywhere who's got a posse, I hung with them. <laughs> That's Witseth. So he's boasting about all these different uh, peoples he's met. And these are peoples from all over the whole of the known world. And some of them maybe not even really, uh, maybe not even real. And it goes even, it goes further and further. Okay, so these people are well-traveled. They are well-cultured. They know they know stuff. Um, they hear the news from all over the world through these poets, through these bards that get around everywhere. So I was um, on Twitter earlier and I saw that the usual kind of gamer crew that I follow, the people that I follow, they're mostly into um, tabletop games, old-fashioned games. Um, We call them RPGs. Dungeons and Dragons is one of them. Not the only one. And uh, apparently there was some big Twitter bust-up about orcs being uh, racist. And, uh, of course, the usual um, thing comes out about Tolkien being a racist or something like that. Some connection, anyway. And, yeah, we we Europeans um, definitely had these prejudices about everybody, pretty much. Heck, I mean, Europe is itself a pretty tiny place. Um, and ever since we got cut off from the East, we've been pretty like uh self-obsessed in some ways, and it's not pretty. So I'm sure there's a lot of that type of um mood in Tolkien because it's in everything. it's in everything European. Um, all of the historical stuff, all of the fairy tale stuff that I love to um, dive into. So, this um, fairy woman in some of the versions, she's more kind of supernatural, in others, she's more kind of just, um, she's like a witch, she's like a, a healer, I suppose you could say, a traditional, probably a religious leader from the old pre-Christian faith or something like this or faiths or whatever because they didn't think in those ways at all I guess and um, whatever she is and I don't think we can ever answer that question she represents the old ways she represents like the old world before Christianity Um. In one of the poems, she's presented kind of um, sympathetically, I think. She's not in the poem, that's why, maybe. <laughs> um, it's from an old song. There are all these old songs. So in France, um, I don't know how much you'd even know about France. I mean, I, I'm always surprised the more I learn about France um England and France women hate each other or something have some rivalry but to be honest um when you dig into it England and France I mean they used to be one country for a long time basically and um for sure everybody who could read and write for a long time in England could speak and write French Um, And that's where a lot of the English language comes from. That's why our spelling is messed up and stuff like that. Um, So French is basically like English (laughs) with a different accent. Um, And the more I find out about France, the more it surprises me. Like a lot of this old kind of traditions, uh, a lot of the old folk songs and traditions you think of France maybe as a very um what would you say I mean I'm trying to think of an American way to say this <laughs> I can't really I can't really think of it. What do Americans think about France? I'd really love to hear that um, I mean here we think of it as a very um i guess liberal, it's a secular society, it's a very kind of um progressive, whatever you want to say. Um, but like for most of the history of France, it's been very Catholic. It's been very kind of like strict. You have all those stories of like the three musketeers, um, stuff like this. And there's always some very, very scary church guy, like pulling the strings behind the scenes and this kind of stuff. Um, but actually in most of france it's like a pretty wild place everywhere is different every region has its own traditions and songs and stuff and basically their own language uh, actually so it's a lot like a lot of places in europe i guess <laughs> hey maybe in the states as well <laughs> and um so you get these amazing songs from different regions and in Brittany. That is a beautiful place, very wet, very cold. So a lot like Britain and uh, certainly have good memories. And um, it's a Celtic country. So you have these beautiful old uh, fairy tales. In one of the short poems, there's no uh, lord. There's no um, there's no Corrigan. Really? Um, I don't think so, which is weird because it's called a Corrigan. So, the mother in this Corrigan poem, she, um, she finds out that her child is a changeling. It's actually a fairy child that's been exchanged for her own human child. And she says a prayer and she gets, um, Right. She, she's told um, by God or by the Virgin Mary or something to go and ask for help from the hermit that lives by the burn, by the river. And um, this hermit tells the mother to do some weird magic tricks. Uh, basically, we would think of that as like some weird magic spells uh put out some acorns and pretend that they're eggs and um wave a sword around and threaten the child <laughs> and then you're going to find out that it's uh it's going to reveal itself that it's really an elf and you can uh you can blackmail the elves to give you your kid back so this is a wild story um This is a wild story. It's not a Christian story. It's like a magic tale. It's fantastic. It's in every sense of that word. It's really cool. Um, I mean, she... uh, What is this here? Yeah, yeah. You have to show these eggs. um, You have to show these eggs with acorns inside and surprise the elf child with something weird that they've never seen before. And then they reveal like they've been all over the world they've been to Brazil um, high Brazil is the name of fairyland, and it was only given to Brazil like at uh, the Atlantic Ocean it's actually Atlantis, right so they use the old legends and um, the same with these fairy uh, kids apparently they've been everywhere and um once you found out that they're fairies, you can uh, you can basically just um, scare them to death. I mean, scare them, and and the fairies will come and take them back and say sorry. Pretty wild stuff. Um, the land of Brazil was fair, I trow. I once saw silver birds, and now, and acorns of gold on every bough. This is Stranger Now. So the strange sight of eggs with acorns, right? Okay, whatever. Thou hast seen too much, too much, my son. Thy words are wild, thy looks are one. This sword shall make thy dark blood run. Thou art not my son. So she basically does like a hostage uh, exchange with the elves, with the fairies. And they come, they just pop up and say, "Ah, stay, ah, stay, thy cruel hand, soft thy son lay in our land, but thou wouldst slay one who did stand a prince in our land, so she gets her kid back, and it's a happy ending, and that's the only happy ending, um, and that's interesting cause it's that's the one where magic is just fine, you know, um it's a Christian." setting, a culture, but magic is there and it's totally fine, Uh, no biggie. In the other stories, it's more like um, this strange mixture of nostalgia for the days of magic and fairy and so on, and also like, uh, like a warning tale not to go back to those times. Um, because these fairy, um, whatever rituals, magic or prayers or whatever, again, they didn't think in those terms necessarily. Uh, it's all very well mixed. Uh, those old ways, anyway, are meant to be dangerous, and that's the point. And like really dangerous, it'll really happen, something bad will really happen. Um, If you do go back to the old ways, that's that's what it's saying. And so in the poems um, as well, at the end of the of the main poem, the one that was actually published, because most of Tolkien's writings were not really published at the time uh, when he was active. Um, At the end, you have this great moment. I mean, it's sad, of course, when the Lord and the Lady have died, they both died. He has been cursed by this Corrigan and um, she's died of grief. So this is two things that happen very often in folk songs, in the old music uh, of the British Isles, pretty much half the songs. (laughs) Um, If there's some Lord and a lady in there, for sure they're going to die. And one of them might die of grief. It's kind of a Romeo and Juliet scenario. And, um, very often they're buried together or they're buried separately, depending on if there was a good guy or, you know, um, and very often a tree grows from the grave or near the grave and it signifies, you know, whether they were good or bad in this Corrigan poem, um, the trees grow together and the birds that nest there fly up to heaven so kind of signifying maybe a happy ending, but not really so clearly. Um, and of course, this is like the two trees in the uh, in the Lord of the Rings that uh, carry the light of the sun and the moon in them. And um, trees signify the heritage, the tradition. They signify, I guess, uh, continuity, the uh, family line, this type of thing. Uh, But they also signify hope, I guess. Um, And the holly, that was the kind of pagan symbol of rebirth. That's why we have it at Christmas. Um, Still very, very important uh, symbolism in Britain, I would say. The Christmas songs have always got the holly and the ivy and all that type of stuff. Uh, and that's why. So, um, the way that this stuff is mixed in is, is not very simple. And it's, I think it's way too simplistic just to say, hey, these old stories, you know, they're racist or no, they're totally fine. I would say it's somewhere in the middle. And, um, Again, a lot of stuff I know in the United States there was this famous satanic panic about dungeons and dragons. Is it really terrible? Is it bad? Like yes or no. I mean it's it's a game where you, you fantasize about um killing monsters. It's violent, you know, it's terrible. But our our stories are pretty violent and terrible. Um so maybe it's good to look that in the face and not to hide it. And it's pretty, it's pretty safe to roll dice and tell stories. You know, that's not so bad. Um, used to be a bigger part of our culture. Maybe it should be again. And um, so this divide between fairy uh, and, uh, and the Christian world is found in all of these stories. Actually, it's either in there explicitly, like in The Broken Sword. Poole Anderson was this Danish-American, and he wrote The Broken Sword. It's what inspired uh, Michael Moorcock. Inspired a lot of people. It's basically based on the uh, sagas. It even starts off like a saga. Um, There once was a man called Orem the Strong... A son of Kettle Amundsen, who was a great landsman in the north of Jutland. The folk of Kettle had dwelt in Himmeland as long as men remembered, and were mighty landowners. So this goes on and on. It's like a family saga. And the, the Icelanders have these long family sagas. Uh, there's an incredible podcast called Saga Thing. Right now, when we're in lockdown... They're doing uh, weekly episodes as well, which I think is great. It's a great service to humanity there because um, they're really funny and they manage to make those interminable Icelandic sagas really fun and really easy to get into because uh, the sagas are crazy and funny. Um, but these fairy tales go a lot more into this uh, drama of giving up the old ways so the fairy, uh, people basically represent, I think, and I, th- I guess there's a bunch of scholars who would say this as well, uh, represent the pre-Christian peoples who I guess were still there in the early days of, um, Christian Europe and like rebuilding this empire of Europe. Um, and I guess in all, probably in all the countries, right? I mean, no um no religion is gonna get it's gonna reach all the people in every country ever, and even with like uh even with the state involved they for sure they couldn't possibly convert everybody so there, I guess there was always some of these people around um and the stories seem to pretty clearly represent that so I'm making it even worse here. You know, it's not only like, oh, there's different countries and the people look different. Even within European countries, you know, there's this divide, there's this constant tension. And I think that we all kind of recognize some of that from even modern times when we're living through these things. Um, And maybe because we just don't remember our history that well, we don't keep those traditions alive we are not that much better than those people back then. Um, And in some ways, maybe we are not that aware. We're not as aware of ourselves and our history and where we come from as we used to be. And we're not as kind of aware that there's stuff out there, other places, other ways of doing things, um, which we can learn from. It's even like an amazing thing that we get to meet people from different backgrounds and cultures and everything. Um, And it's something to boast about. So originally I wanted to do On Stranger Tides. So On Stranger Tides is the book, um, and I love this, it's the book that they based uh, Pirates of the Caribbean on. And if you've never read um, On Stranger Tides by uh, Tim Powers, Check that book out. This is just, it's so indulgent. It's just great. Um, I wanted to go into it because it is so much fun. Um, But it is really deep. Going back to it, it's really detailed. Um, It has all of this detailed stuff about sailing. Um, What is it with American books and sailing? I mean, Moby Dick, come on. (laughs) There's a lot of stuff in there about sailing uh, what it's like to be a pirate, that is a great read, such a good read, Um but it's kind of hard in a way to get back into it again because of all the details and all of the funky characters, weird characters. Um But basically the story is just a classic old-fashioned adventure story. It's like a pulp, um but with a nice... Yeah, he has a nice style. Um... Tim Powers, I think, also knows James Blaylock. Um, don't don't at me, but um, James Blaylock also wrote some very very funny and very weird novels, uh, in which basically there's there's no kind of big danger, I guess, um, but the characters are just funny hilarious characters, like something out of Tolkien, I guess, that typical stereotype that Tolkien is all for fun, and people love their three dinners or six dinners. Um, And, well, James Blaylock actually wrote that book, uh, or a whole series of them, actually. And those are hilarious. Pick them up if you have a chance. Um, But I picked this really dark and sad book up, and I finally got to read it, uh, which is weird, right? Because we should all have tons of time on our hands, No way, (laughs) we're all just like struggling here. Um, I think because all the routines are collapsing. Um, And I really hope that a lot of leaders um, of every type are gonna have the courage after we get through this epidemic, we will get through it, come on people. After we get through it, we need to take a serious look at what we consider normal because it ain't normal. Um, and we need to think seriously about the things we learned, uh, from this time of enforced, uh, thinking. (laughs) I really hope we learn from this little bit of history. I finally managed to finish this book, short book, like, uh, less than a hundred pages of the poem. (laughs) I tried so many times (laughs) and the actual poem, um, I like it but i didn't feel that excited by it because i already knew what was coming i guess because it's so much like um the folk songs and the folk kind of um ballads especially the scottish ones the child ballads i think i've done okay in mixing up and uh, throwing in all the references here and connecting the dots so the child ballads are like um, a, a big selection of old songs from Scotland mainly, and a lot of them are pretty boring, um, but very many of them are very weird, very strange, and definitely worth a listen. If you can handle these old tunes, like melodies that just repeat a hundred times, and you listen to the story that they're telling, there's some wild, like comic book level stories like crazier than comic book stories in there obviously a lot of people are going to die in these stories um and they're mostly tragic Uh, there's a few exceptions which are cool very cool if you look up uh fairport convention that's an english band one of the english folk rock bands with a great great singer sandy denny um and the song tamlin that is awesome And surprisingly has a happy ending. That's one of those ballads. Um, And I think what Tolkien was kind of creating was not so much more of the same. Although, yes, he was. I mean, it's the same as all these folk tales. But um, trying to find this balance that he found in The Lord of the Rings where he wasn't so preachy I mean, goodness knows, um, being British, he could be pretty preachy, right? <laughs> that's that's fair. Um, but um, when he managed to get his books like Lord of the Rings together, it's not uh, cringy, it's not preachy at all. It's pretty dark, it's pretty tragic. Um, and finding that balance for us today is really hard I think getting the right notes of sadness in there that's that's thats what I want to say Tolkien is good for giving you permission to be sad man. and we really need that in these times we need to feel that sadness and move on uh, and let's keep on doing that okay peace and everybody stay safe please Michael from Germany Bibliophile Adventures signing off, till next time.